Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am taping this in February, and it snowed last night, and I just want you all to know that I am utterly and completely over it. Even though we've barely had any snow at all this season, I am still ready for spring. Uh, And for those seniors who are listening, you're probably ready for spring as well because spring brings decisions. And we actually have a a few interesting segments today that I think are going to most directly relate to um, those of you awaiting decisions, including uh, we're going to be talking about admitted student days, what those are, whether or not you should go, what you should do while you're there, and also how and when to arrange financing for college. Now, of course, those of you who aren't yet in that senior year position might still want to know more about doing that. But um, I also think it's going to be directly relevant for all of our parents and students who are in the senior year. But before we get to that, one of the reasons that we do this podcast is really the primary reason we do this podcast is to provide a free resource for families who are going through the college application process, whether that's applying or applying for financial aid or trying to figure out how can I make good decisions along the way so that I have a lot of options or how can I push my child and support my child so that he or she has a lot of options. Uh, And the goal is really to support as many families as we can through this process. And by the way, our blog is another great wealth of information that is free. But for those of you who are thinking about hiring a consultant to help you through, in addition to listening to the podcast, now obviously we would love it if you hired us, but I also can appreciate that. Um, That might not be the direction you're going in, but we thought we could offer some tips to you to consider as you evaluate whether or not it's a good choice for you and if you're looking at some different options, what those options might be and how to effectively kind of sort through them. And so um, joining me to discuss this today is our Senior Director of Client Services, Erica Blades. Hi, Erica. Good morning, Beth. How are you? I'm good, and thanks for joining today. Um, And just for our listeners' sake, I wanted to share that Erica basically spends all day talking to parents, talking to families um, about whether or not working with someone here would be a good idea. And so understanding and, and listening to what they're hoping to get out of it and also understanding why families come to this position where they decide to hire someone. So Erica is really our resident expert in this piece. And so Erica, I guess let's just start off with what are some of the reasons why parents hire consultants, especially when they have this fabulous podcast that they could be listening to for free? Great question. I think, you know, for some folks, it's really just understanding the process. You know, I think, you know, if you're starting a little bit earlier in the process, you might have, you know, limited support at school and and have questions that you'd like to ask and make sure your student's on the right path. So I think that's the biggest thing is really just understanding, you know, what we should be doing throughout, you know, depending on where your child is in the process. And some families don't have time to do that or, you know, it's a little bit stressful at home, so they really want to, you know, keep the peace. So there's a lot of different reasons that families will come to us. 
Yeah, I think you you made a good point there about wanting to maybe start a little bit earlier in the process. And I know that we have guidance counselors who listen to the podcast and um, that they are uh, have so much on their plates. And I would say at most schools, it's not really all that possible that you can start working with a family. You know, you can certainly have meetings with families, but to be um, more involved with students when they are just ninth or 10th graders is often really difficult. There are so many other different uh, demands on a guidance counselor's time. And to work with a ninth grader when you have a senior who really needs your attention right in that moment can be difficult. Um, so for those families with a lot of questions, sometimes working with a consultant is a, is a good way to to kind of direct that energy to in a different, in a different, towards a different path, I guess. Um, what are some, what are some things that you hear from parents when you're talking to them? Um, certainly I think you mentioned one great one, which is, you know, there's stress at home and they're constantly bugging their kids about doing stuff and, and it's causing problems between them. Um, are there other things that you see, uh, with parents calling and, and asking for assistance? You know, I think that's definitely the major, <laughs> definitely the major topic is keeping the peace and, you know, their child really doesn't listen to, to what they're saying and to have that trusted source that, you know, their child can go to and have the conversation and might open up better to that individual. Um, you know, the other side is just navigating this process and landscape. It's changed so much, you know, in the past 20 years. I, You know, a lot of times I'll hear from parents, you know, I went to Harvard, but I'd never get in today. So it's really just mm-hmm. understanding what has changed, but, you know, really getting a sense of direction with that expert. And I think that really comes into play is knowing that they have someone that has the answers versus other families in their town that are certainly, you know, have, there's a lot of chatter, but may not actually have facts. Right. One of the things we talk about on the show a lot is things that are preceded by the phrase, I heard that. And as <laughs> yeah. a, you know, as the mother of a, of a freshman, a high school freshman, one of the things that I found happening to me now is I'm on the sidelines at a football game or in a, watching wrestling, which are two things that my son's currently involved in, and hearing parents talking about exactly that. Well, I heard this or I heard that. And mm-hmm. sometimes I, I feel like, do I really need to, should I jump in here? Maybe I should just be quiet because, you know, <laughs> No one likes the know-it-all who's like, well, let me tell you, what you heard is wrong. (laughs) Sometimes I can't help myself, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I I do try to avoid being that person. So when you, if you are in that situation, you're a parent, what are a couple, what are some things that you would, um, you know, what are some things specifically that our people can help, you know, when students are ninth, 10th graders, maybe early in 11th grade, um, that families could also look for if they were looking at a different uh, organization or person if they were going to hire a consultant? You know, I, I think that question comes up, you know, even in conversations I'm having, you know, what is it that we are doing that may be different or what should they look for? And I think it's great that families do the research because ultimately, you know, you want to find the right coach for whatever reason that may be. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell families is certainly looking at experience. I mean, the team that we have, we're very strategic in who we bring on board because we want that 
specific experience. So knowing that our coaches were decision makers, went to committee and made those final admit decisions, I think is a huge asset um, in being able to leverage other individuals. I think having, you know, more than one mind, not one person knows this entire process. So I think being able to leverage other individuals, you know, in that same arena is a huge asset. Um, you know, also just having a sense of, you know, some families want a certain style or, or location and, and that comes into play and you want to make sure it's a good fit. So I think doing the research, finding out, you know, how long has the individual been doing this, their background, um, you know, do they track their results? How does their process unfold? So those are things that I think you want to keep in mind to make sure you do find that right fit. Yeah, and I think also some parents are looking for a pretty straightforward process. Others may be looking for uh, greater hand-holding or want to be kind of deeply involved and others want to kind of hand it off. And I think those are some mm-hmm. things you can talk with a consultant about is thinking about what you anticipate needing as a parent or as a student and then uh, sort of asking some questions to get at, is this the person or the company or the team of individuals who can help me in the way that I I think I need the help. Uh, Understanding that maybe what your take on what you think you need, you may need more than you think you need, you may need less than you think you need, but it's important to, it's important to go in with at least some idea of, okay, I'm coming to you because it's time for my dog to select her courses for 10th grade and it's the first time we have options and I don't know if I should push her to do honors and if that's going to be a good idea if she doesn't do as well. Um, And I I have some straightforward questions I want answers to that I feel like I'm not getting as much insight as I want to. Or I just, you know, I want to understand how the whole process works, how it all goes together. I didn't go to college here and we know nothing, right? Those are two kind of different um, needs, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, coming into the conversation for a lot of families, they don't have a clue where to begin. And I think just knowing that we have the ability to really kind of ease into this Everything for our our students is going to be customized because everyone's everyone's at a different place. Every student is different, so it really needs more, more of that organic approach. There's not a checklist. There's not a formula. It really is making sure that we're helping that student and family through this process as we find fit for them and as a group. It's not, you know, it, it is really kind of finding that fit and, and understanding what to expect and, and having that structure and organization, you know, to keep the process moving forward and, you know, always being productive. I think one of the things that families don't like the unknown, so having a sense of direction on what should I be doing in ninth and 10th and 11th grade and making sure we are staying proactive and, and moving forward throughout. Yeah, and I think asking the the um, the potential um, counselor kind of how they approach that stuff, right? Do you have a do you have a checklist? Do you have a well? We all all of my students do this. I think from one perspective, certainly as consultants, we help students with all parts of the process, assuming that they buy, you know, it's a more comprehensive program because we do have some programs that are a little bit shorter hours where maybe it's because a family's coming to us in their senior year and they already have a couple of key things done and they want help with 
one specific element of the process. And um, I sometimes find that even if they think they only need help with one, sometimes they need help with another, right? You come in with a list Mm -hmm. that they feel really good about. And then I look at the list and say, okay, this needs a little more balance. You have only reaches on here. Or I don't think you're stretching enough. I think that there are some other schools who would be excited to have you. And maybe we could look at adding a couple more of those. So um, I, I think that's that's a piece to be thoughtful about. Um, and just, again, you want to talk to your counselor and understand their philosophy. What is, you know, how do they approach the work with the student? And does it seem to mesh with your own personal philosophy about how you want to approach uh, the work. I think those, those are really important. One, one other thing I wanted to ask about, and because um, this does come up and you see it in the news a little bit, you know, what about people, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this whole question of, well, are you going to talk to the college for me? What kind of guarantees are there in this? You know, what's your... Do you get those questions a lot and, and how do you kind of it, in, tell parents they should or share that parents should be mm-hmm. thinking about this? Yeah, I think it's starting to come up a little less frequent than it used to because um, I think families are starting to understand that there really are no guarantees. And I think one of the things that we present is certainly, again, making sure that we identify the best fit schools for students. They have a sense of expectations going into this, and we do track our results. So anyone guaranteeing anything, it just should be questioned. That should bring up some red flags um, because there's there's no guarantees. I think that's one of the things we see, that more students are applying, schools are becoming more competitive. You know, I think one of the, the myths that's coming up a lot more often now is the schools that that parents think are shoe-ins and safeties are really more competitive than ever because there's more applicants and it's completely changed. So I think it's really just the, the, the process of understanding that and there are no guarantees, but certainly having a sense of expectations heading into the process. Yeah, I think you should be very afraid. There's, you know, you mm-hmm. as as families, you need to go out and find if you decided you're going to hire someone, you want to find someone you feel good about. And um, I think Erica laid out a few really important things or things that we think are really important anyway, uh, particularly, I think, having experience on the college side of the desk as a decision maker. Um, but I also think the my one, if you leave this, this sort of segment, listen to this segment with no other thought, um, really flee the people who are making guarantees, who are saying that they're going to call the colleges on your behalf. These are not tactics that are welcomed at the colleges. And um, generally speaking, uh, you can't make guarantees. And in fact, uh, you know, there was an article a year or two ago about a person who was charging families an incredible amount of money. I mean, like a mind boggling amount Mm -hmm. of money to guarantee the admissions. And then what he was doing was refunding the money, running a portion of the money if the student didn't get into certain groups of schools. But the amount that he was charging for schools that the students, um, as described, likely would have gotten into with no problem on their own, um, it was really just smoke and mirror. So like, hey, I'll charge you a million dollars. And if your student gets in, I keep it all. And if they only get in, you know, you want this tier. If they only get into the tier below that or the one below that, I'm going to refund $250,000 of your money or maybe $500,000 of your money. Like, uh, you're still paying $500,000. Like, it's insane. (laughs) Um, insane. Obviously, we're talking about incredibly extreme cases here. So, um, 
you know, that, that is, uh, that's very unique. And by the way, not at all, <laughs> by the way, a ballpark that anyone we live, uh, we live in, or really anyone I know lives in. Um, anything as we wrap up, anything else that, um, you wanted to share any last tips or advice, or have we pretty much covered it? Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, I think kind of leading back to that last question um, is really that we want to be a ghost in the process. The the goal of this is really making sure that the student's voice is coming through and that they're the applicant. And, you know, I think that is some of the questions and, you know, some families are looking for you to write the essay and that's not what we do. Our goal is really to help the student put their best foot forward. And like you said, we're not reaching out to the colleges. That's not what we, that's not, that's not going to help. You know, it's really just making right. sure we're able to help, again, get, help the student be heard and seen in the application. Yeah, absolutely. And just to underscore that, I think the other big thing is we're not trying to replace guidance counselors or college counselors at independent schools at all in this process. They're a super important piece of of what you're going to go through and, and they are doing their best work possible to support students. And our goal is really to just um, support in ways that might not always be possible um, because this is all that we do and we don't have to do things like proctoring tests and um, dealing with the emotional challenges that can come in high schools and just, just all the different things um, and ways in which guidance counselors get pulled um, in different directions. So our goal is to really support them and I also would say one last piece of advice is you should really steer clear of um, people who are in this field really disparaging guidance counselors. And I know they are out there um, and using that as a way to say, oh, you really need to work with me because the guidance counselor at that school is terrible. Anybody who says that, uh, I I really, really have to question their judgment because um I have never met a guidance counselor I would consider was terrible. I have met guidance counselors who are overworked um, and underpaid, and um, but I certainly know that they all have the students' best interests at heart, and so I would really be careful um, about that. But anyway, uh, Erica, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beth. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about financing college Um, what to think about, and when to get started on that. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? 
Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. Uh, I am very excited to welcome my colleague, Michelle Richardson, who's a former financial aid officer at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine, but also an alum of the loan world, having worked at both Sally Mae and Chase. Um, And she is a particularly great expert to have on considering our topic today, which is uh, really how and when to arrange financing for college and choosing the best loan and, and covering all of that. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Beth. I'm excited to be here. All right, great. So, um, as parents and students are making their final college selection, and they're going to be this this is airing in early March, and those decisions are starting to come in, and they're going to come in heavily in the next probably three weeks, um, given that the common reply date or the common date to receive your acceptance by is April 1. So now is the time. Um, But as they're getting those decisions and figuring out how to pay for it, um, some might want to use financing. So um, that might have to be part of that decision-making process. So I guess the first question I have for you is, how should students and parents arrange for financing to pay for college? Um, Well, you know, first things first, we want to make sure that students actually apply for all of the financial aid available to them, and they would do this by completing the free application for federal student aid, often referred to using the acronym FAFSA. Um, And this loan application allows students to be eligible to access federal direct loan programs like uh, the federal uh, subsidized and unsubsidized uh, loan program. So we want to make sure that the students have done their due diligence initially and completed the FAFSA. All right. So what happens, the students applied um, for financial aid via the, ha- the FAFSA. What happens now? Um, right now, actually, at this point in time, as students are getting their 
acceptance notifications. They also should be getting their financial aid award notifications from the financial aid offices on the college campuses. These are typically emailed to the student um, and not to the parents, so we want to make sure the audience is is aware of that. Um, Once the student receives the financial aid award notification, oftentimes colleges will include their eligibility to access the federal direct loan program, Um, and then the college will direct them with further instructions. Um, For any loans, like the federal direct loan program, students will have to accept or decline that loan via the student portal, Um, and then once they accept the federal direct loan, then the college typically will provide them with further instructions to complete the required online entrance counseling and complete what they call a master promissory note, which is basically the the credit and loan agreement between the student and the U.S. Department of Education. Um, One thing I do want to mention here is the Federal Direct Loan Program allows the college freshmen to borrow up to $5,500. So there are uh, annual loan limits associated with that student loan program. Got it. Two important things I want to point out to listeners. The first is, I wasn't sure if you all heard that, but I want to underscore it. This information is going to the student. So if you have a student who does not check his or her email or... Uh, doesn't communicate with you, you need to get everyone around the table with a computer and look for it because it could be in a junk mail folder or it could have been received and overlooked. Um, That's going to your student. And then the second thing today, and and if you listen to the show frequently, you know we've done segments um, over the past few weeks around Um, negotiating a better financial aid package if the one that you're appealing your financial aid package, potentially negotiating for more merit money. Um, We talk a lot about all of these pieces. We've talked in the past about how to fill out the FAFSA and the CSS profile if a school is requiring it. Um, And today we're really focusing on just Uh, the question of arranging financing for college and choosing the best loan. In next week's uh, show, we are going to be talking about too much to borrow. So we're not really tackling that question today. If you're thinking, well, that's a lot of money, um, you need to tune in next week because we're going to talk about it then. Uh, All right. So is that the only financing option? So you mentioned the direct loan program uh, and that freshmen can borrow up to 5,500. But what if you need more than 5,500? What is What are some other options? Um, families do have other options. So um, they could consider a federal parent loan for undergraduate students, which is often referred to as the PLUS loan. Um, they could also look at securing a private student or a private parent loan through a bank or credit union or lending entity that offers student loans. Um, And another consideration that sometimes families overlook um, are tuition payment plans, which um, are offered on many college campuses. Uh, okay, so I mean, the tuition payment plan is always interesting. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Um, how that works, 
um, how parents access that option um, for financing. Sure. So uh, tuition payment plans are basically a credit agreement between the parents and the college and their installment payment programs. Um, One of the great things about these programs is typically they're offered at no interest. Uh, There is often a small administrative fee to set these up. Um, I've seen ranges between $30 uh, a year to set up a tuition payment plan. Um, Colleges are starting to increase that um, a little bit. Um, I have seen up to $120 to set that up. But um, I think sometimes this can be a great option not to, if parents and families have to borrow a significant amount, um, just look at using a tuition payment plan to finance a portion of what they can afford or maybe the amount that the family can cash flow through their household um, budget because it is um, a zero-free option. And so I think it's a great way uh, for families to look at, oh, if I can pay $500 a month or $1,000 a month through our cash flow, if you take that times eight months, that is typically when a student is in college, that's $8,000 a year that the parents or the student is not having to borrow and pay additional interest on. So I think tuition payment plans are a great option to consider. Um, Any information on tuition payment plans are often um, provided on the uh, individual college website. And most of the time, these are offered through not the financial aid office. Uh, Families will want to look to the business office or the bursar's office on campus or their information on the website uh, regarding information and how to sign up and the terms and conditions for the tuition payment plans. Yeah, I will have to shout out to these tuition payment plans, which we have used here for my um, stepson. And it really is a way to kind of spread the payments out, make it more manageable so that you can afford more of it rather than having to borrow a huge chunk because you have to pay one tuition bill with the whole amount due right in that moment. So big fan of those. Um, It does sound like there are a lot of options I think one of the other big questions is timing. Um, I've seen it on uh, our Facebook where people are saying, okay, well, when do I get the loans? You know, when does that part happen? So um, when does this part of the process typically begin? Sure. So generally speaking, students and parents will want to secure or apply for their financing after that May 1st decision. Um, An exception to this is if the student knows earlier than May 1st and they've committed, they can take care if they're going to access the federal direct loan, they can take care of that acceptance process and completing their entrance counseling and the master promissory note sooner than that. Um, one timing issue that we want to make sure that the audience is aware of is credit expiration. So um, if a family is looking at a federal plus loan, um, that does require a credit check, and that credit check will expire after 180 days. 
So what that means is the disbursement for that loan, if the parent is approved for the PLUS loan, the first disbursement has to be within 180 days of that credit check. Um, for private student or private parent loans off, you know, offered through banks and lending entities and credit unions, um, that credit expiration can vary anywhere from around 60 days to 120. So if, you know, generally speaking, most of the tuition bills for incoming freshmen occur in July into early August. So, I would say June 1st or after if families are needing to access anything above the federal direct loan program, they'll want to apply. Um, and parents do have the option to shop around uh, regarding private student and private parent loans. Um, you'll just want to make sure that they're um, looking at credit expiration dates. And also um, one other tip if they're shopping around, they'll want to make sure that they do it within a short window of time. Um, typically, you'll want to, if you're applying with two or three different lenders, to see where they'll get the best interest rate or maybe the best uh, deal regarding a, a private student or parent loan. Um, they'll want to be aware and apply with those lenders within at least 30 days. I typically tell families to apply within a two-week time frame. That way their credit score won't be affected negatively because it'll only be looked at as one credit inquiry on their um, credit report and on their credit score. So that's another tip that families need to be aware of. Got it. That's a really good one. Um, and just quickly, those tuition payment plans, is there a deadline to sign up for those? When do you suggest that families um, do that? Oh, great question. I would, once the family knows that that is an option for them or they want to explore that option and the student has made their uh, final decision, I would look at what tuition payment plan is offered at that uh, respective college and get going on that sooner rather than later. Um, I saw and was made aware last year of a college that actually started their payment tuition payment plan in June um, for the the fall semester. So um, most of the time, the tuition payment plans um, coincide with the uh, terms the fall term and the spring term. But I would suggest that parents look at the tuition payment plan information um, as soon as the student has committed so they know exactly what they're dealing with and how they can work that in their budget. Right. And so you don't miss, let's say, the first payment, which means then you'd have to pay more in the second payment. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get to the, the last question um, that we had sort of said we would cover, which is, you know, how do you, you have all these different finance options. How do you determine what the best loan is for, for you, for your family? You know, there's no best loan, if you will, as each student and each family has certain, you know, circumstances and, and financial capacities. However, you know, typically the first go-to loan program 
for college is the federal direct loan because it's a student-only liability. It doesn't require a credit check, and it you know, does allow students to have some skin in the game and start to build a credit profile and record if they don't have one. Um, So that's typically the first go-to is the federal direct loan. But again, as we mentioned earlier in the segment, there are annual loan limits for that program ranging between 5,500 and 7,500. So if families are looking at for other loan options above the federal direct uh, loan program, you know, some factors that they're going to want to consider as a family um, would be borrower liability. You know, does the parent want to be the only one fiscally responsible for that loan? So then they might look at the the federal parent plus loan. Um, If they want to have shared liability, maybe they'll look at a a private student loan with the student as the borrower and one of the parents as the credit-worthy co-signer. Families should also look at uh, considerations like interest rates and, and fees, if there are any origination fees involved and um, calculate that into the overall cost of the loan. Um, Another consideration in choosing the best loan would be repayment options. Um, Some loans have immediate principal and interest payments. Some allow the parents to pay or the students to pay interest only or defer all of those payments while the student is enrolled at least half time in college. But the big downside to that is interest is always accruing, and that's where we really can run into challenges with student loan indebtedness. Um, I think another consideration for families that sometimes gets overlooked is remembering that college is a multi-year expense. So if you're having to borrow, uh, let's say, $15,000 for your student or cosign as a freshman, are you going to have to do that for most of the time people aren't doing that for just one year? And you need to remember that you're doing that for uh, multi-years if, if that is what mm-hmm. um, your family's financial needs are. So remembering that college is a multi-year expense and um, along with that comes if you're looking at Federal Parent PLUS loan or private loans, they're based on creditworthiness. So um, one thing that is different between the PLUS loan and the private loans is a lot of the lenders that offer private loans look at items like debt-to-income ratios. And so, you know, that's where uh, families, again, want to be cognizant of borrowing year over year and how much, because um, if they look at, at private loans, you know, they, they could be ineligible if the student gets to be a junior or a senior because they're not meeting the, the creditworthiness. And, um, and I think something, too, that parents and students alike should look at is the post-college earning potential, you know, kind of the baseline there and the benchmark is typically you don't want your student to have more student loan debt than their beginning salary out of college. And and that's kind of an industry benchmark, if you will. Um, and so, you know, they need to consider that as well 
as they look at how they're going to pay for college and, and utilize financing. Michelle, thank you so much. I think that was all super interesting. As I mentioned, um, next week we are going to be talking about how much is too much to borrow. And I do think that should be something parents are also considering. Um, while we might want want to shoot for that top choice school if it is going to cost you an astronomical amount of money or require you to go into a lot of debt. Usually not a great choice. Um, But thanks again for joining us today. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Beth. Absolutely. Um, When we come back, we're going to be talking about admitted student days, so don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio, every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
All right, everybody, we are back, and I am excited to welcome my colleague, Christine Kenyon, who's a former admissions officer at Babson College, um, here today to talk to us about admitted student days. Hi, Christine. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thank you, and uh, happy to have you on the show. And uh, this show is going to be airing in early March, and um, we know that a lot of students are starting to get their decisions, or they will be getting their decisions. Very few colleges have released them yet. But um, for those students who are going to be getting uh, acceptance letters in the coming, the next few weeks, one of the things that they're going to be getting um, along with those acceptances are Uh, invites to admitted student days. So why don't we start by maybe you could share a little bit more about what are admitted student days? Because I will tell you that when I was applying to college and we got these invitations, I remember my father and mother saying, well, we already went to these schools. We are not, we can't (laughs) afford to go back. Um, And never was even a consideration that we would go to admitted student days um, for that reason. So maybe tell us a little bit more about what they're all about. Yeah, so admitted student days are really neat because they're geared towards the class of incoming students. So, you know, it's a little bit more comprehensive than just what a student will have already experienced or could experience on the traditional campus tour and information session. Because at this point, you know all the stats and the data about the institution. What a student is really trying to do and the family is trying to decide whether or not they want to enroll. So admitted student days are geared solely towards the students who have been offered admission into that class. Um, so it's they have really great energy. There's this buzz on campus, and you're surrounded by your potential peers, which I think can be really helpful to sort of envision if you could be friends with some of these people, if, if these feel like your future friends and classmates. Um, something that I think yeah. is really fun about admitted student days uh, mm-hmm. is that you are often introduced to um, a wider variety of campus leaders than perhaps you would have been exposed to through the traditional campus tour and info sessions. So you'll often hear from the campus president or the dean or director of admission, and you'll have a number of different opportunities to really hear from students and professors firsthand about some of the opportunities and resources that are available should you choose to enroll. Yeah, and I remember from my own time in admissions that um, accepted students days felt almost like a pep rally. We would kick off the day yeah. with a big, you know, we would meet in um, in one big building that held a ton of students and the dean would be there and then the individual admissions officers who had admitted students would be there and you know, we'd get everyone going with a little speech at the beginning, and then as people filtered off to do their different um, activities. So I always enjoyed that part of admitted student days. Before we get into kind of the the nuts and bolts of um, our suggestions for what to do when you're attending those, really quickly, how important do you think it is to attend these, um, especially for families with maybe limited budget, um, and, you know, maybe they have four acceptances. The idea of going into four admitted student days, maybe that's realistic, maybe it's not. Um, what's your take? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on whether or not the, the student and the family have been on campus before. So if the student and the family have visited campus previously and they they sort of saw what a dorm looks like, they've seen the library, they connected with, with people, they... they 
they were on campus before, um, I can certainly understand how it might not be cost-effective to come back up for a second trip and miss school and whatnot um, for an admitted student day. Um, you know, sometimes decisions have to be made uh, when it comes to cost and travel, um, and that makes total sense. I do think, however, if you were admitted into a program that you had never visited, so you've never been on campus, admitted student days are really, really important because now you're making mm-hmm. the decision about whether or not you want to enroll. And you can't really make a good educated decision without having some more in-depth exposure to the university. Um, however, with that being said, if that still remains a financial burden for the family, this is the beauty of the digital age that we live in today. Uh, in addition to admitted student days, oftentimes colleges will offer some amazing opportunities for, for admitted students to connect with current students. You know, they'll have live Twitter chats going on. They'll have phone call-ins where students and parents and alumni can all connect and you can just call in and ask questions. Um, So, you know, I do think if you've never been on campus, it's worthwhile to try and make it work if this is a campus you're really considering enrolling at. Um, But do take advantage of all the other great opportunities online, um, you know, to connect with the institution if that's just not going to be feasible. Right. I would agree. And the only other thing I would throw in there is that if you have committed already to a school, you've already visited, you maybe applied early decision and maybe you were deferred and now you are um, you've been admitted or you were admitted in the early round and you're getting an invite to to um, admitted student days. Certainly there's why not go and you could potentially, as I think Christine noted, you can meet some of your future classmates and all of that. But I do feel like there's less of an of a need to spend the money on something like that, given the amount of money you're about to spend on college um, to attend accepted students days. But okay, so with that in mind, let's assume you're going to go. What are the things that you see as really important for students to plan to do while they are on campus? specifically for admitted student days, where, as you noted, the entire group will be filled with people who have been admitted and all the programming will be geared towards that. Um, And it's really quick side note here. If you are waitlisted, there is a reason why colleges basically say, please do not come to campus for these programs because they really aren't designed for you. And I think that would be an exercise in unhappiness to join a bunch of students who have been admitted and for you not to have been admitted, it's really not something I would recommend that you do, um, particularly because most colleges also say, please don't. But all right, back to what should you be doing? So I think there are two main things that are really important to try and, and accomplish at an admitted student day. One, connect with as many current students as you can to talk to them about what a day in the life looks like, what's an average week, what are campus traditions, what do they love about the campus, um, what do they wish they had known and had packed before they came and arrived on campus for that first orientation session. So connecting with as many current students to try and really understand um, what the daily experience is like can be really helpful. Um, the other thing I would recommend is uh, talk to as many professors and take advantage of as many academic opportunities as offered during the admitted student day. This is something that I think really differentiates admitted student days from the average campus visit is accessibility to professors. Typically at admitted student days, you're going to have the opportunity to connect with a couple of different professors, 
There might be some mock classes that you can attend or full classes that you can go and sit in on to try and observe um, the institution. There may be sort of an open house in a different lab or a research institute that you can kind of pop in and out of and ask questions of. Those are really great opportunities to think critically about uh, the learning environment and the classroom setting and if it fits with what you're envisioning for your college experience as a student. So I definitely encourage students to take advantage of those academic offerings connected to admitted student days and to ask as many questions as possible. There's, there's no silly question out there, so don't be ashamed to ask anything and everything that you want to know about the institution and the program. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And um, I think at most places, too, they're going to have meetings where you can talk. If you have an intended major that you've already selected, they're going to do meetings around that. I remember at Penn, we had the individual schools at Penn had um, things going on for students, tours, opportunities to do all of the things that you mentioned, meeting with professors, sit in on classes, do all of those things. Um, In essence, this is when the Colleges are wooing you, right? So through this process, it I know feels largely like the colleges are completely in control. Obviously, you decide where to apply, so they're not completely in control. But once you've been admitted, then the tables really do turn, and it's much more about, great, we're excited, we admitted you, now we want you to come. And so that's really the spirit in which these these days are constructed. Um, and as you note, I think, no stupid questions. They want to answer your question rather than have you leave with it unanswered, because if it's an unanswered question that's important to you, you may get that answer from another campus and choose that campus. So um, mm-hmm. they're there to they're there to try and address everything that they can while you're on campus. Um, what are some other things? Yeah. So we talked about the academics. What are some other things that you recommend doing? I think that taking advantage of learning about some of the clubs and activities on campus can be really helpful. Usually there might be some sort of an organizational fair, activities fair going on, or there'll be booths set up perhaps in the dining hall as you go to lunch. Um, But there should be opportunities to learn about the different extracurricular ways that students get involved on campus outside of the classroom. So I think checking in with some of those and hearing about some of the things that they do can help to get a student excited and, again, to envision, um, you know, where they might like to spend their time because college is a four-year immersive experience. So you want to have a great academic experience. You want it to feel like a home away from home, but you want to have fun too. And so checking in with some of those clubs and activities uh, can be really helpful as well. Awesome. Uh, And then what are some other things? um, You know, one thing that comes to mind is when you visit, and again, I keep harping on Penn, but that's where I worked. And so I remember one of the things that you cannot do uh, when you are a prospective student is see a dorm room. Um, But at a lot of colleges, you know, maybe you could see it before you are admitted, but this is usually the time where they're going to show that off. So is that Mm -hmm. something you think is valuable, worthwhile? Absolutely. You're going to be living there for a number of years, so definitely take advantage of seeing a dorm room. And I'm with you. I think some colleges incorporate them into a traditional tour, but many colleges only offer dorm room um, tours to admitted students. So take advantage of that. See what you think. You know, it it feels like home away from home. Um, Same thing with connecting with the financial aid office. So, you know, if, if there's any final questions you have about your aid package, scholarships, loans, um, this is a good time to kind of hop in and, and meet face-to-face with that person too. So 
this is like test driving a car. You know, most people don't just buy cars based on what they see online, right? You you go, mm-hmm. you sit in it, you turn on the AC and the heat, make sure it works. And it's the same sort of thing with an admitted student day. Um, you know, as you said, the colleges are now trying to woo the student and to convince you that this is the right place for you. So take advantage of connecting with all of the different people on campus and seeing all the nooks and crannies, the dorms, the gym, uh, the campus center, or the library. These are the places you're going to be spending the majority of your time. So you want to make sure you feel comfortable that this is going to feel like home away from, from home for you. Yeah, and I the other thing I would add is that a lot of times at these student days, they'll do parent and student panels, um, as in a panel of parents and a panel of students, not usually mixed. And that's something else that I've seen um, be really valuable to students and to parents um, to hear about the experiences mm-hmm. that other students and parents have had. I loved your advice at the beginning, which is talk to current students, but I also so know that not all students are going to feel comfortable just walking up to a current student and talking to them. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times colleges will make them available to you, but the parent panels and the student panels can be also a good way to get a current perspective without maybe having to put yourself out there if you're uncomfortable doing that. Great point. And it's yep. an opportunity to divide and conquer. If the student and the parent go together, you can go to two different panels and come back together and say, hey, what did you learn? How did you feel? Yes, totally. I love that. And I love that idea that, you know, the parents have the perspective of what it was like to have a student on the campus. The students have the perspective of what it's going to be like to live on the campus. And those are necessary mm-hmm. perspectives for each group. Christine, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having All me. All right. Absolutely. Uh, So again, thanks to Christine and all my guests. Next week, Ian is hosting. Um, He's going to be talking about A through G requirements in the University of California system. How much is too much to borrow, as I teased earlier. Um, Also getting started on a preliminary college list. So people who are um, listening and maybe the students are sophomores, juniors, and they're really getting thinking about what a good list would be. We're going to talk to you about how to think about that. Um, If you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Visit our archives, um, our blog. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.